All right, so if you guys turn to 1 Peter 3, starting verse 1. And so I want to give some context to this. This is a continuation of, of 1 Peter 2. You guys haven't figured that out yet. Um, but what Peter is talking about, let me, I'm going to read this to you real quick before we, we dive into this. But Peter is talking about, um, in, the, in the previous chapter, he's talking about honoring authority. And he's talking about Christ as our example. So he, he's not talking about um, he's not talking about honoring authority in um, uh, a weird way. He says, "Submit yourselves to authority, and to every institution for the sake of the Lord, whether it is to king in the position of power or to governors as sent to him to bring punishment to those who do wrong and to praise and encourage those who do right." For it is the will of God that by doing right you may silence, muzzle, or gag ignorance and irresponsible criticism of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to covet or for pretext or of evil. But use it to live as a bondservant to Jesus Christ. Show respect to all people, treat them honorably, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. And then servants, submit yourselves to your masters with all proper respect, not only those who are good and kind, but those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if the person endures the sorrow of suffering unjustly because of the awareness of the will of God. After all, what kind of credit is there if when we, you do wrong and are punished for it, you endure it patiently? But if when you do what is right patiently, bear undeserved suffering, this finds favor with God. And it says this, it says, for as believers, you have been called for this purpose, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you may follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, nor deceit, ever found in his mouth. While being reviled and insulted, he did not revile or insult in return. While suffering, he made no threats, but kept entrusting himself to, to him who judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, offering himself up on the altar of sacrifice, that we might die to sin, becoming immune to the penalty of po the power of sin, and live for righteousness, for, for his wounds you have been healed. For you are continually wandering like so many sheep, but now you have come back to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So this is a pretext to what Peter is, is talking about. you got to understand, he is not writing this to people who are um, able to attend church. He is writing this to people who have been scattered across Eurasia. They are pushed into different cities. They have fled from persecution. They have been taken captive. They have, you name it, they've gone through it. So he says this, 1 Peter 3, 1, he says, Godly living, in the same way wives submit yourselves to your husbands, subordinate but not inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to the husbands and their accountability to God. And so partnering with them, so even if some, have, some do not obey the word of God, that they may w be won over without discussion by the godly lives of their wives. When you do see their modest and respectful behavior together with the devotion and appreciation, love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. So you have to understand this. this is, these are people that are exiled. They don't have the normal... Um, the normal worship style. They're not going to the temple every week. They're not going to um, 
the synagogues to be taught every week. They're basically meeting together in houses and small groups because they are not allowed to meet. They are not allowed to worship because, they, think about this, they are in foreign countries. They are in lands that are pagan country, uh, pagan gods, pagan religions, and as we, most of you know, that the disciples were not just lightly persecuted. Most of them died extremely horrible, painful deaths, um, proclaiming the word of God and proclaiming that Jesus is king. And so when he's writing this, he's trying to reiterate what Jesus was teaching them when he was on earth. He's like, remember what Jesus taught us. This is how we're supposed to act. This is how we're supposed to respond. This is how we're supposed to live our lives as an example to the pagans around us that hate God, but they're going to see your life and go, I wonder why they act that way. You ever had anybody say something to you and they're like, why are you the way you are? My wife asks me that all the time. She's like, why are you the way you are? I'm like, I don't know. But, um, no, that, that's a whole different subject right there. Um, but, if you ever had somebody you work with or you, you know, and they're like, why are you this way? And you're like, it's because they don't, have, they don't know you're a Christian. They may not know you're a Christian. They may not know you go to church, but they just ask you this. They see something in you, and they're like, why are you this way? It gives you that opportunity because of Jesus, my life is different. My life is different because I gave my life to Jesus, and I follow him. And they're like, wait a minute, oh, that's why you're the way you are? I tell my wife that way. It's because of Jesus. She goes, that's not why the way you are. That's the part of marriage and suffering. No, I'm just kidding. She has to suffer through me. Um, but you'll get rewarded great, uh, a lot of like mansions in heaven for living with me for the last 20 years. So, um, it, yeah. But I'll still be there. No. Um, in heaven, she'll be like, I love you. We're in heaven. We're perfect. But why are you the way you are? Um, yes. God put complete opposites together. We're probably one of those couples that took, should have taken the marriage test before we took the marriage test, and they probably would have told us, don't get married because you shouldn't be married. So, um, yeah, we didn't take that test. Um, but that's probably the test we should have taken, but I don't think that would have stopped us. So, Yes, and our fights and arguments are very heated. And, but it's funny because we disagree on a lot of things except for the important things. So, anyway, so, ladies, let's talk about the women right now. Um, yeah. This is going to get me in trouble, I think. No, I'm just kidding. Um, verse 3, it says, Your adornment not, must not be merely external, with interweaving and elaborate knotting of your hair. Okay, so here we go. Let's just get this out of the way. We're not going to get into your the way you dress. So, if you think it's going to get that way, move along. All right. Interweaving an elaborate knotting of the hair, wearing gold jewelry. Oh, you're in trouble. Okay, she's fine. She's got silver on today. Or being superficially preoccupied, dressing in expensive clothes, but let it be the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart. See, the problem is, is we spend more time reading Scripture and, and reading a very narrow version of Scripture instead of like listening to what God is actually saying. We can, you know, there's denominations that will 
will literally base their entire way a woman should look off that one scripture instead of reading the word of God and finding out what it actually means. Like I went to schools where women, you, you couldn't cut your hair and I'm like, okay, we just gotta, we gotta get moved past this. I think we're more mature than this to be stuck on one scripture. But he says, let it be the inner beauty of the hidden person. That is men and women. I doesn't, I'm not talking to, to women in general. This is our spirit should be more beautiful inside of us than what we are focused on on the outside. We have so many people that are so focused on, oh, what do I look like today? How do I look like? I don't. Yeah, okay, guys, have you ever woke up and looked at your wife? It's like, holy cow. You're like, go paint the barn. <laughs> it's like, but it's not about that. Okay, I would rather marry an ugly woman with a beautiful spirit than marry a 10 and her be a filthy heathen. I want someone who isn't nasty and dirty and grubby on the inside. And that's what, that's what Peter is talking about. He's talking about that there it shouldn't be focused on and what he's referring to is that the pagan cultures would do this. They were, uh, because they were so dead spiritually, they thought by doing this, it made them alive and it made them presentable to their gods. And Peter's like, no, what makes you presentable to God is the inside. It's the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart. Ever met somebody who's just beautiful and they're ugly inside? And you're just like, mm, nope, don't want to be around that person. The hidden beauty of the person of the heart with the imperishable quality, unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit. One that is calm, self-controlled, not over-anxious, but serene and spiritually mature. I'm reading from the uh, Amplified Version just to let you all know, so if you want to read that on your app, you can. Um, But he says, all of this is very precious in the sight of God. We get so focused on the external. We go anywhere. And what sells in our culture? Sex sells in our culture. And what do they do? They, put the, they try to find the, the most ex, extravagant-looking person. They try to find the, the most beautiful person and put them on TV and try to sell you motor oil. And they're like, hey, this beautiful person uses this kind of motor oil. You should use this kind of motor oil. And you're like... She don't even know what that is. She. I saw Kevin and I was like, yeah, okay, we'll just go with that. <laughs> but that's the thing is, we, we, the enemy will put beautiful things in front of you and say, this is how it's supposed to look. Whether it's people, whether it's jobs, whether it, and you know what, it can be dead inside. You ever gone, gone and said, you know, I really want to do this, and then you get there and you're like, this is wrong, this is icky, I thought it was going to be good, and it is just, ugh. And you're like, i got to move on. That's what Peter's talking about. He says it needs to be about the heart and not what we're looking at and what we're seeing. It has to be the, the internal. The internal process of us needs to become like Jesus. Here's the thing is, I love it when, when people like to take the Scripture and, and preach down to women, but it should be, Men who are also focusing on that. 
Men need to focus on the internal too because what we do is we get, okay, wives, do your husbands get tunnel vision? Yes, men, we get tunnel vision. I'm just saying we do. We get focused on something and I'm going to do everything in my power to get it done before anything else. And you, then you're done and you're like, oh, there's like seven other things I was supposed to do with that day. So yes, we get tunnel vision. But what's happening is, is Peter is, is talking about women, but this is, this is a general thing for believers. We get so focused on going to church and, and doing the things and looking the part and making sure I dress good enough to go to church. You know, we got to wear our Easter best on Easter. What, are you dressing up for Jesus? He don't care if you wear jeans or a big hat. He's concerned about the inner man. And when when we take the scripture and we use it as a tool to, to weaponize it against women and how they should dress in the church or as Christians, we're no better than the, the heathens that are, are saying that, oh, you're not a good Christian because you don't do this. What Peter is saying that our, the inner self is more important than what we are looking at. All right, I'll get off that rant. Got tunnel vision on that one. For in this way, former times, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands and adapting themselves to them. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, following him and having regard for him as the head of their house, calling him Lord. Okay, she didn't call him God. Lord is another word for master. And back then, women didn't have a lot of rights. So let's just leave it at that. So, guys, don't go home and like, you need to call me Lord or Master. No, no, don't. That's not going to go over well. You're going to have to have a counseling session, and it won't be with me. Um, anyway, and you have become her daughters if you do. Do this, what is right, without being frightened by any fear that is being respectful towards your husband, but not giving into intimidation, nor allowing yourself to be led into sin, nor be harmed. So, Think about this. Paul is, or excuse me, not Paul, John, is writing to the believers, and he says this to them in 3 John 2. He said, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically, just as I know your soul and spirit are prospering. This ties in perfectly with this. The inner man, you know, we try to talk about prosperity, and we're like, oh, God, I need, I, I really want this, and I want this. And, and Peter's saying, you need to be prosperous in your soul, because what is prosperous in your soul will come out through your, your man. When you, when you are growing in your spirit, it's going to come out of you in your natural life. So all people are like, oh, I just, I want God to do this, and I want God to do this. He's like, I'm more concerned about the inside of you than your comfort in this world. We're like, oh, I got to be comfortable. I got to be comfortable. They ever use that word? Like, you know, a couple weeks ago when it was like 9 million degrees humidity and, you know, it was like, you know, it was only 80 degrees, but there was a 900% humidity. And, you know, you, you, look, out, you look outside and you're like, yep, time for another shower. That's like a four-shower day. Um, yeah, exactly. We're not comfortable with certain things in our lives. And our comfort is not a real, is the, isn't the highest concern with God. Is it better to be comfortable and spend eternity away from God? 
And I don't mean like, hey, he's across the room and I can't talk to him, but eternal separation where his spirit is not present or to be uncomfortable and be able to say, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. I'm going to spend eternity with him because, you know what, I was a little uncomfortable on this life. On this world, I was not very comfortable. I may have struggled. I may have gone through things. I may have had sickness and poverty at moments. But you know what? I get to spend eternity with Jesus. All right, husbands. We're going to go into you guys now. So in the same way, husbands, live with your wives with understanding. With great gentleness and tact. I hate that one, tact. Uh, and with intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. That's hard for guys, I'm just saying. Intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. Okay, guys don't get marriage naturally. Women do because they're, they're women and they naturally, guys are like, yep, she's here. We love you, we'll provide for you, but we don't flow into that naturally, I'm just saying. I'm just saying from experience. With regard for the marriage relationship, as with someone physically weaker since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir in the grace of life so that the prayer, your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. Marriage is a learned thing. People are like, oh, you're not ready for marriage. Nobody's ready for marriage. Anybody here by a show of hands was ready for marriage when you got married and then went into marriage and you're like, yeah, I was totally prepared for this. No. Nobody is. We've been married 20 years, and we're still not ready for it. We're like, wake up every morning like, crap, what do I got to do again? And it's like, nobody is ready for marriage. Marriage is like a child. You learn from that child when you have a child. We're like, yeah, we're married. We got it all together. Then you have a kid, and you're like, oh, crap, what do I do now? You learn in marriage. Marriage is, that's why marriage is meant for life. So you go and you learn and you mature and you grow in your relationship with God as you grow and mature in your relationship with your spouse. That's why God meant for us to be married one time. What happens is, is this, is in our culture, we've gone from, you know, we got our starter marriage, which are three years. So like every time you trade in your car, you get a new spouse. It's the, it's the culture, though. Hey, your lease is up in three years. Hey, I might as well get a new spouse while I'm at it, too, you know, or, or live in whatever. And it's like we've made it cheap. We've made marriage something that can be thrown away and turned in for a new model. No, can't turn her in. The warranty t- expired a couple years ago. <laughs> I love her, though. I wouldn't trade her. But we've made marriage cheap. You have a star- oh, it was a starter marriage. What's a starter marriage? Like, like your, your vehicle doesn't start, so you get a new car? Oh, something doesn't work right in our marriage at first, and so we, I just got rid of her because it wasn't working out so well. I need something that will work. Or he wasn't working out so well, so I got rid of him, got a, a nicer, newer model. And it's like, okay, anybody in this room, are you compatible with your spouse? No, men and women are not compatible with their spouses. We were never meant to be. If you're compatible with your spouse, you probably married yourself. I'm dead serious. You probably married yourself if you are compatible with your spouse. You are supposed 
supposed to have tension in your marriage. And I, I mean it like this. It's supposed to be tough sometimes, and it's supposed to... It, if you don't have conflict and butt heads every now and then, you married yourself. If your spouse agrees with you 100% and never gives you any feedback or any backlash on, hey, that wasn't good, you married yourself. You have to have that a little bit of tension every now and then because what it does is it, it refines you as a person. It refines your marriage, but it makes you become closer because you're choosing to become closer. What happens in our culture is, oh, they didn't like what I did, so I got rid of them. Well, if you weren't ugly inside, you, they probably wouldn't have got rid of you. But what happens is, is we need that conflict in our marriage. We need that tension in our marriage every now and then because it causes us to work things out. When you don't work things out with each other, what happens? You live on opposite ends of the house, and you don't have communication. You don't have anything, and then you wonder why when kids leave the house, parents then get divorced. Because their only goal in life was to raise their kids. It's not meant to be that way. I don't know where that came from, but that was for free. The rest you're going to have to pay for. Um, all right, verse 8. It says, finally, all of you be like-minded, united in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, and compassionate towards each other as members of one household and humble in spirit. He's not talking about marriage relationships here. He's talking about the body of believers. That's why he says, as members of one household. He says, you are all stuck in the same house together. You all get to be part of the same house. Verse 9, never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse. But on the contrary, give a blessing, pray for one another's well-being, contentment and protection, for you have been called for every, or excuse me, for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing from God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. There's a point in our life where we have to start to look at our life and say, have I suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have I suffered for being a Christian? And I'm not asking you to go to China and, you know, and preach the gospel on the corner and then be put in a concentration camp or a re-education camp for 10 years. I'm asking you, have someone disagreed with you in a way that they would publicly shame you for the gospel? Just a couple weeks ago, I got a really great text it was like, you know, six paragraphs long, and it was saying how I was a horrible person and I was a horrible Christian. I was like, oh, great, who's this from? I'm like, oh, it's from my aunt. I'm like, great, love you too. Uh, no, but it, so quick story, toxic family, my, my, my family, toxic, love, love them, but they're great from a real far distance. Don't really see them that often. You know, and I was like, okay, well, what's this all coming from? And, you know, it was like, throw, it's coming from pain because, you know, the way they were raised was a hot mess and um, their lives are a hot mess and they don't have anyone to sh show them and tell them or would they be even willing to listen to how to get out of their hot mess. And so, you know, used... You know, my grandma passed a couple years ago, and they used the, the grandma card, and they used all this stuff, and I, you don't like the family, and, 
and you don't want to be around the family. I'm like, mm, for much. Um, and I was like, you can call me a bad Christian, but if you haven't stepped foot in the church in 35 years, you don't have weight to, you don't have weight to, to throw around. If my mentors came to me and said, oh, you're really not a good Christian, I would say, okay, I need to reevaluate my life. You know what? Your family will hate you because you, our family does not like us because we've chosen to do this instead of run around and do stupid things. My family doesn't like our marriage because we're the only successful marriage in my family. I've been married longer than almost everybody, well, I have been married longer than everybody in my family because I've chosen that. I've chosen to stay with God. I've chosen to be married. I've chosen, well, she's chosen it too, but I'm like, you're coming along for the ride. No, we've chosen to be married. We've chosen to put the word of God first. And you know what? Yes, church is our thing. We do church. And yes, we can't come to everything because we have church in the morning. Yes. We've set a standard for our family that we are going to be at church. We're not going to be out late. We're not going to be doing things at noon on Sunday. If you don't like it, go take a picnic somewhere. I don't care. Kick rocks. But we are going to come to church, and we are going to be at church as a family. And people will hate you from that, and they will call you stupid things. Family will call you stupid things. They will say bad things about you. They will say that you're not this and you're not that. That is great. You want that, unless you're really being stupid. Please don't be stupid. <laughs> if you're following God and people are persecuting you, that is how it's supposed to be. We are supposed to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some suffering is greater than other, but others, but it will be there. They will persecute you. Families will divide. Sons will fathers will hate sons. Sons will hate fathers. It's not about hating people, but it's called. It, Jesus talked about in the last days that there will be division in families because people will choose to follow God and to serve God and other people will choose to not serve God. But he says, don't return evil with evil. I could have laid into her. I was all like, I'm going to text and drive right now. But I didn't. You know what? Because I don't care what they have to say. Because it holds no weight. If God said, you know what? You need to stop and you need to go do this, that holds weight. If my mentor said, you need to stop, change your life, and do this. But when someone who doesn't have any pull, any weight, my spouse, yes. My spouse says, you're a horrible Christian, you need to change your ways. Yes, I need to look and evaluate. But when someone who carries no weight and doesn't have any value for the word of God and likes to use the word Jesus and church and Bible, all that stuff, and throw it around, then it carries no weight. And I consider that, yeah, brush it off. That's how it's going to be. You will have people who do, do not like you because you go to church. They will question why do you go to church. You, you go to church, why, why do you believe in a God you can't see? All right, verse 10. I'm running out of time here. For those who want to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not, must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking to treachery and deceit. Ouch. Peter's saying, keep your mouth in check. He must turn away from wickedness and do what is right. He must search for peace with God, with self, and with others. And pursue eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. 
for the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayers, eager to answer, but the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. Peter's saying, hey, they're going to do things that are contrary. They're going to call you things. But our job is to not speak evil against them when they do that. It's so funny to watch our culture of Christians, and they're like, as soon as something happens, they're all like, we're going to go out, and we're going to protest, and and we're going to do this against these people because they did this. Do we not wrestle against flesh and blood? Paul says we wrestle against principalities. It's not the person that is doing this. It is the principality that they've allowed into their life, controlling their actions, controlling their thoughts. We're like, well, how can a person do that? Well, when you give yourself over to depravity, depravity will take over. You know, I I was watching TV and I was watching a politician say how, how amazing the government of China is and how many freedoms they have. Then why are there tens of thousands of of Uyghur Muslims being persecuted in re-education camps. They're educating them. And why are Christians being persecuted there? Why are Christians being killed? Why are Christians having to have churches in homes and in basements? Depravity will make you think that that is normal, that that is okay, and it is not. Verse 13. Well, let me get back to it. So here's the thing is, those Christians over there that are being persecuted, they don't, they don't say, oh, we, we wish, wish more perse- uh, the persecution would end. No, they're like, send us Bibles. Persecuted churches grow faster than non-persecuted churches. Do you realize there's more house churches in China that are, that are bigger than us, that meet every week, and, the, and, the, and they have the ability every second of the day to go to prison, be killed, be whatever, be tortured, and they still get together. But we can't even make it, oh, it was just, it was, I was out late last night. It was like 10.30 when I got home, and I just, oh, couldn't make it to church. Think about that. You got people willing to die for the gospel in China, willing to, to go to jail to hear the scripture, but you're like, oh, it was 10.30, I got home, and, you know, I went to bed by, like, you know, 11. I just couldn't get up. You guys are so persecuted. But what do the, the Chinese believers do? They don't criticize the government. They pray for the government. They pray that their captors will meet Jesus, that they will be, Jesus will be revealed to them in their life. And there's been stories of the, these um, jail keepers that are torturing these Christians and they meet Jesus. That is what these people are believing for. They don't, they know if persecution goes, the church goes. Why do you think America has gotten so lazy with church? We got like, you know, the fifth version of this kind of church and the 15,000th version of this kind of church, but because we don't have any persecution, we've become lazy. Well, I didn't really like the, the color of the flooring and I didn't really like the music, so um, we're going to go find another church. And that's fine. Go find another church. But what I'm saying is, is we're, we've become so comfortable. There's a, a song called Comfortably Numb. <laughs> I've become comfortably numb. And that's the way we become as Christians. We've become comfortably numb to what God is doing because we're so focused on what? The external instead of the 
Spirit of God moving. What happens is, is this, is, oh, well, I didn't really like this, and I didn't like this. And we can complain about things because we have freedom to complain about things. You know, I, I was listening to a story about a persecuted Christian, and she, was, she me, had memorized the entire book of John, if I remember correctly. And they said, how did you memorize it? She goes, every time someone would come in and visit me, they would bring me one scripture on a piece of paper wrapped up, and they would give it to me. And I would memorize that scripture as best as I possibly could, as long as I possibly could, before the jailer would come and take that piece of paper from me. And then they would sneak me in the next verse. And I would memorize the next verse until I learned that verse, and then the jailer would take that. And she learned the same book, the whole book, by one piece at a time, memorizing it every day, as long as she could have, hold on to that scripture until the jailer took it. We're, we're like, turn to the book of Abraham, and people are all looking for him, like, you don't even know the books. That's not even a book. <laughs> and they're like, well, I can't find that. No, because we haven't spent time in the Word of God. If, if they're so desperate for one scripture with the, wor with the Word of God on it, we, and we have, what, 1,200 Bibles sitting on the, on the mantle at home and on the bookshelves that are collecting dust? We got that family Bible, you know, you write all the births and deaths, and it's great, but it just collects dust. We have them on our phones. We have them on our computers. We have everywhere. But we won't even open them, and we're like, oh, that persecuted church. Well, the persecuted church needs you to open your Bible, read the Scripture, and pray for them. I love it. They don't even, they don't, we get mad at other believers, and we're like, they're that, this, this, and this. They're praying for their, their torturers. But we can't, we're like, oh, I don't know. It's just so hard to go to church today. I'm not saying you can't skip a day, okay? It's just, I'm just saying, but we make excuses for why we can't go to church. Verse 13. Now, who is there to hurt you if you become enthusiastic for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, though it not be certain that you will, you will be blessed, happy to be admired and favored by God. Okay, he, sa he says you'll be admired and favored by God if you are persecuted. I think that's pretty cool. If God is going to have favor on you and, bl and blessing on you because you are persecuted, we should not, like, bring it on. No, please don't. I'm just saying, but when it happens, what does James say? Count it all joy when you go through trials and temptations. When you're suffering for the gospel, consider it joy. But we're like, oh, the devil's attacking me. Why do we blame everything on the devil? It's just an easy cop-out for Christians to justify our stupid behavior. Oh, the devil's just attacking me. No, it's because you were stupid with your money and you didn't do what you should have done and everything broke down. And you're like, oh, it's the devil attacking me. No, it's not the devil attacking you. Grow up. It's us. We're stupid sometimes. All right, sorry. Don't be afraid of intimidating threats, nor be troubled or disturbed by their opposition. But in your heart, set Christ apart and acknowledge him, giving him first place in your life. First place. Not like, oh, I see you on Sundays. We have joint custody. I see you every other weekend. Um, he's like, give me first place. Give me the first place in your heart, the first place in your life.
always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and the confident assurance by faith that is within you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't hold their hand over a lighter and be like, you want to go to hell? This is what they feel like. No, please don't. I had a kid do that one time. I wanted to punch him. And see that your own conscience is entirely clear so that every time you are slandered or falsely accused, those who attack or disparage you, your good behavior in Christ will be shamed by their own words. Think about it. If you have nothing in your life that can be called out, if they persecute you and your lifestyle is so on track with God, they're going to they're be put to, to shame. I've had so many people, oh, we hate Matt and Sarah. Why do you hate Matt and Sarah? Because they love Jesus. That's all you got? Please. I mean, give me something else. Like, hey, they're, they're mean, they're rude, they're jerks. I don't know. Anything. But they love Jesus. That's all you got. Come on. What it does is it makes them look foolish. When your life is living, if you're living like Christ, you're, they're, what they slan, say against you and try to slander you with is going to come against them because your life is walking with Jesus. And they're going like, to make, they're going to say to everybody, oh, this person, this, blah, 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 blah. And be like, no, they don't live that way. You're just spouting off stuff. For it is better that you suffer unjustly for doing what is right if you should be in God's will that to suffer justly for doing wrong. For indeed, Christ died for sins once and for all, and the just and righteous for the unjust and righteous, the innocent for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God. Just lost my place. There we go. Ah, there we go. Have been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and preached to the spirits now in prison. Who's once, who once were disobedient when the great patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water, corresponding to the rescue through the flood. Baptism, which is the expression of believers' new life in Christ, now saves you, not by removing dirt from the body, but by an appeal to God for a good, clear conscience, demonstrating that you will believe, excuse me, demonstrating what you believe to be yours, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father, with all angels, all authority and power made subservient to him. Here's the thing is, we will suffer. You know, I was, uh, Sarah and I were talking about this couple, uh, last night, we were talking about a pastor in Canada, and during the whole, uh, um, the panic of 2020, um, the fear and loathing in uh in COVID, um, he was put in jail multiple times. They would come into his church and try to stop, um, shut him down, and he would just scream, get out, Gestapo, get out, Gestapo. And he was jailed, I think, six different times, fined multiple thousands of dollars. And Sarah was saying to me yesterday that it was all taken, it was all reversed, all the fines were taken away, all the jail time, all the charges were reversed against him because they were violating his rights. And here's the thing is, that is a precursor to what our, gen our generation is seeing. We may not see it, but our kids and our grandkids may see it. And what happens now is we have to, if we don't take a firm stand in the word of God, 
our grandkids are never going to take a stand in the Word of God. Because what's going to happen is our kids are going to start to waver. And when by the time, let's put it this way, either our kids are going to step up and be better than we were, or they're going to waver and be worse than we were. And what's going to happen is, is if they don't take a stand, persecution is going to come no matter what. But they will just, oh, you know, oh, I, I kind of go to church, but I don't know if I really believe in it. I don't know if I, you know, I, I kind of, I, I just went there once or twice. I go there every now and then. When someone comes knocking on their door and says, hey, we, do you go to this church? Uh, well, uh, 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 what is your answer going to be? I want my grandkids' answer to be, yes, I go to this church. Yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, I serve Jesus. So it is our, ter- it is our job to, to take a stand as parents, you 30-something-year-olds. It is your job to take a stand as parents and raise your kids right so your grandkids are even stronger than your kids. What we're wa- we watched in Canada is a precursor for what is going to happen in the U.S. eventually. What happens is they, they, they whittle away at freedom. Sorry, not, not, not trying not to get political, but what the enemy does is try to whittle away at freedom so he can take your freedom, and once he has your freedom and you give him your freedom, oh, well, I kind of go to church. I, I, I go every now and then. I don't know if I really believe it. Stop going to church. Okay. And then the next thing is, um, why is this group of people in your house? We heard music. We heard somebody talking about Jesus. Your neighbor turned you in. This is, this is the chain of events we know. They call Christians conspiracy theory people because we, we kind of are, because we've read Revelation and we kind of know what's going to happen. We kind of look at Revelation and go, this is going to be a little weird. How do we navigate that? How do we prepare the next generations? I hope I see my great-grandkids so we can instill in them and continue a faith heritage so that when the, the day comes and they have to stand and someone knocks on their door and they say, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's going to suck. Sorry. It is. It's going to be bad. But what happens is, is this. I want my, kid, my, my grandkids and great-grandkids to stand and say, I love Jesus, and I don't care what you do. I don't care what happens. I love Jesus. Create that culture in your home. Create a culture of following Jesus, talking to Jesus, praying, talking about Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit and about the Father, what he does. Create something sound in your home now so your kids carry that on to their kids. You know, we Layla's going to be gone in a, a month from our house. She's getting married. But, you know, I'm, I'm believing that she will carry on a, a faith heritage in us that her kids will be able to see. I don't want it to be like, oh, my grandkids are heathens and they're running around being stupid. I'll be like, Time for a, a spanking for her, and then time for the grandkids to get a spanking. But you know what? I want my kids to be able to carry on what we believe. I want my kids to be able to take a stand and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what you say about it. I don't care if you don't like me because I love Jesus. I, I, if you find me offensive because I love Jesus, get over it. Go cry on somebody else's shoulder. But I will not back down from what the Word of God says. I will not call sin not sin. I will not allow those things. And we have to make a stand in our life. Persecution will come. We know it's going to come. We've read the books. 
We've read the entire book. We see what the end is going to be like. We know what's going to happen. Through it all, we have a, a eternal hope that Jesus is going to, he's like waiting at the starting line, at the line like, okay, tell me when. Tell me when. I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to get him. I want to get him. We have an eternal hope that he's coming back for us. No matter what happens, no matter if it's, if it's government persecution, if it's, it's uh, your neighbors persecuting you, if it's your coworkers persecuting it doesn't matter. In the end, we have Jesus. In the end, we have eternal life with God. So what do we do? Do we pray for persecution? Absolutely not. But when it comes, count it joy. When you go through those trials, when you go through persecution, count it joy that you get to prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God in your life. Jesus didn't die for us to say, oh, I kind of follow him every now and then. I go to church, you know, on the holidays. I'm like, Chris Easter, you know, but I, I'll not go if you don't want me to. Jesus died so we could proudly and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And say, what did John the Baptist do? He said, prepare the way because someone greater than me is coming. He was a pre-runner of, Je of Jesus saying, hey, there's someone greater than me coming, and he suffered persecution. A lot of persecution. I mean, his head was on a plate for crying out loud. He was, but he was willing to do that because he knew who was coming in his lifetime that was going to take away the He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if I'm not willing to say, this is Jesus who takes away the sins of the world in front of my coworker who doesn't like it, am I denying him at that point? You know, we talk about Judas. Oh, Judas was a horrible person. What did Peter do? He sat there in front of people and denied him. Judas just, just betrayed him. Jesus, could get, Jesus was like, oh, just do what you need to do. Well, we talk about Judas is so bad, but think about it. Peter, when he denied him three times. I don't know him, swearing at him. I don't know this blankety-blank person. I don't know who this is. Are we willing to suffer a little bit of persecution and a little bit of anger towards us? Or are we going to be like Peter? Oh, I don't know him. I, no, 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 I don't know this guy. Never seen him before in my life. Nope, nope, nope. But look at, what is Peter writing? He's writing about persecution and how we need to stand firm because he learned his lesson. Think about this. God is gracious and he loves us. And he could have come back from the, when he rose again and come back and say, Peter, you're out. You're out. You're done. You denied me three times. But what happened was when Peter denied him, he saw his Savior. He saw the Savior. And he knew what he had done. And if you read that... that um, passage of scripture it devastated him and at, at a certain point in your life you're going to have to be that you're going to be at a Peter moment you're going to say what do I say I'm with him or yeah I don't uh, I've seen him in public eventually it's going to be like hey do you go to church mm, kind of sort of maybe only when I get invited or is it going to be, yes, I go to church. Yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, I'm willing to let you say whatever you want against me. They will say whatever they want. They will say vile things against you. But you know what? You're doing it for Jesus. You're suffering it for Jesus. And there is a reward for it. It just seems really tough when you're going through it sometimes. But the great thing is he's been given all authority. And eventually, 
he's going to come back and he's going to be like, you know what? Boom. Done. Come home. Let's rejoice. Let's pray.